Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So something I find really funny is that I have gained some kind of reputation for doing couples therapy. I am not a marriage and family therapist. I'm a psychologist. I had never intended on doing couples therapy. This was not an internship that I ever had. I don't know how I ended up here. All I know is that when I see couples, I am brutally honest and somehow that helps and people spread the word and now I keep getting referrals for couples therapy. In my opinion, I suck at it. In my opinion, I just sort of call a spade a spade and that's not really couples therapy, but I have learned a thing or two over the years from other couples therapists and so I do have some sense of what's supposed to happen, but I am not motivated to keep people together who shouldn't be together. It is not my goal to force a couple to stay together just because they think they should. Basically, I look at it like I will help people determine whether they should or should not stay together. And I will do that by getting everybody honest with one another. And if it means they have to break up, if it means there are big consequences, so be it. Because I'm in the business of helping people to find happiness, not forcing people to white knuckle their way through terrible situations. So one of the things that I have learned is that there are two kinds of couples. There are couples who should be together, generally have a good relationship, but have somehow lost the ability to communicate with one another. And maybe that happened because somebody got too busy or both people got too busy, or maybe it happened because they have dysfunctional ways of communicating. And that is the easiest scenario for couples therapy. The other situation is when people are just fundamentally not compatible, totally mismatched, shouldn't be together, and they're trying to keep it together. There is a concept called the starter marriage. There are books, there are movies about this. And basically what it is is that it's that first marriage that people have when they don't know any better and they just kind of marry the person they're with at the time, not thinking about differences in values, not thinking about long-term stuff, not thinking about whether they're actually compatible in terms of wanting kids, not wanting kids, all that stuff. And so I see a lot of people who are on their starter marriage and they really probably aren't going to go the distance, but they're trying to make it work because they're married. And so why not give it a shot in couples therapy? Now, starter marriages usually happen when people get married super young. If you think about what your requirements were for dating, 
for dating while you were in high school or while you were in college, the bar is pretty low. You're just kind of looking for somebody who maybe listens to the same kind of music, maybe has similar friends, maybe even is somebody you're in class with, but the bar is pretty low in terms of long-term relationship over time as you grow old with somebody. And so a lot of times people will marry somebody that they have minor things in common with, and then somewhere down the line, one of them realizes they want kids and the other doesn't, or they realize that one person is religious and the other person isn't. And so there are a lot of really big deal breakers that ultimately end up breaking this type of couple apart. So good luck with that. You're not going to stay together. It ain't going to happen. And I'm not going to try to keep you together. So one of the other things that I've learned about couples is that there's a me, there's a you, and there's an us. And that at different times during the relationship, you need to either focus on me, focus on you, or focus on us. And you have to constantly sort of balance that. So I think first and foremost, you cannot enter into any sort of romantic relationship when you haven't focused enough on the me. When you haven't taken care of your own crap before you got to the relationship. So what that means is before you enter into a long-term relationship, you have to make sure that you have your own support outside of the relationship. Many people can relate to the idea that they lost that friend once that friend got into the relationship, right? It's like, oh yeah, Johnny hung out with us every Friday night and then he met that girl and boy, we never saw him again. So I think we can all relate to that. And I think it's very easy when you're in love to begin to ignore your friends and family. And maybe that's okay for a certain period of time, but ultimately, you're going to need those people to be your support just because inevitably at some point you're going to have a couple's problem and you're going to need somebody to talk to outside of the couple. And that is true long term. Now, also, when you enter into a relationship, you have to continue to assert your own self-care. As I said, it's easy to get enveloped in the relationship and forget about needing time to yourself, needing to do hobbies that are just yours, needing to provide some kind of self-care for yourself somehow. And so a lot of people will end up neglecting themselves. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, I was just so caught up in the relationship, I stopped working out. Or... I stopped playing golf because that took time away from my partner. 
or whatever it is where people start to begin to give up some solo activity because they don't want to spend time away from their partner. And inevitably, that's kind of like giving up part of yourself, part of your self-care. So that's important to keep going. And it's important to have a partner who gets that and has their own personal self-care activities to take care of themselves. Now, the other thing is that you cannot enter into a relationship in which your self-esteem is dependent upon the other person. You only feel good when the other person feels good, or you feel terrible when the other person feels bad, and you're constantly looking to measure how they are doing in order to assess how you're doing. And really, if you're in a healthy relationship, you can be supportive to your partner, but your self-esteem and your well-being does not depend on their mood or what's going on with them. And I see this a lot of times where people are in relationships, they have to walk on eggshells because their partner gets too upset or they have to keep it quiet when they're having a good day and their partner is having a bad day because they don't want to upset them. So your self-esteem and how you're doing and how your mood is should not be dependent upon your partner. Now, under the category of the you part of a couple is really about you taking care of the other person. And in order to do that, I believe that you have to be incredibly honest and be with a partner who can take the honesty. And that means coming at them from a place of care and concern and having honest and hard conversations with your partner. And maybe it's something about finances, maybe it's something about health, maybe it's just something about watching your partner be in a rut and knowing that they need more in life and trying to talk to them about what they need to do for next steps. So that would be important, the, having those big, honest, hard conversations in order to help your partner out. And that also means that you have to be really good at communicating. You have to be able to say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it mean. Be very effective in your communication. And it sounds so simple, but you'd be surprised how hard it is for people to use what we call I messages. I felt sad when you said that thing about me in front of your parents, right? Using the I message, I felt, instead of, look what you said in front of your parents. That was so awful. Why did you do that? You totally screwed me over. You just threw me under the bus, right? Totally different kind of communication. And it meets with a different kind of outcome. 
the way you communicate really does either move your relationship forward or it moves your relationship backward. And so words matter and you do have to be careful about how you say things. Now there's an author named Gary Chapman and he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And what's happened over time is now you can go online and you can take the quiz and find out what your love language is. And in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but I do not I do not believe that that test is reliable or valid in the way that most psychological testing is. And so, but Basically, a lot of people hear about Gary Chapman's book through the grapevine, through their friends, through whomever, and then they go, okay, I'm just going to like go online and take the quiz, and I'll find out what my love language is. And really, that is missing the boat completely on what that book is about. So there are five love languages, according to Gary, and they are physical touch, positive affirmation, receiving gifts, acts of service, and quality time. And this is how people feel loved. One of these categories is how you know that somebody loves you. And everybody is going to have a different answer. Some people will say, well, you know, my partner surprised me on my birthday with this huge bouquet of roses and that really showed me that he loved me. Or someone else will say, you know, on our first date, he pumped the gas for me in my car and that made me feel like this was a good person who was going to love me. And so whatever it is, how you know your love language is measured by how you feel loved. And so everybody is different and it has everything to do with how you were raised and how love was shown in your family and how love wasn't shown in your family. And so this is kind of what people take from the quiz. They take the quiz, they make a determination about what their love language is, and then they want somebody to do that thing. Now, if you read the book, you know it's much more complicated than that. What it is, is yes, you figure out what it takes for you to feel loved, but in the way that you are thinking about the couple, in the way that you are thinking about the you, of the couple is you have to determine what your partner's love language is and give that to them because i think a lot of times people will know what their own love language is and try to give it to their partner and that's not their partner's love language and so things get screwed up because the partner's like yeah i really didn't need this stuff you bought me i really just needed you to spend time with me or whatever it is and and couples fall apart this way so obviously i highly recommend that book now this falls under the category of selflessness the you of the relationship. 
that is really about thinking about what the other person needs and wants and giving it to them in a general sense and not thinking about yourself, your perspective, what you need, what you want at all times. It's really about understanding what your partner needs and helping them to get it. And I think what ends up happening in couples a lot of times is that people get so caught up in what they're not getting and what they want, and they just stop looking at what the other person needs and wants and just both partners go to their corners, arms crossed, and nobody ever comes out. And quite frankly, a lot of times that's how relationships end because each person is in their corner, not thinking about the other person, only thinking about their own needs. When we're thinking about the us, the we of the relationship, we're really thinking about what the couple needs. And a lot of times there are common problems that all couples sort of grapple with. I think one of the simplest ones is you sometimes have incompatibility in terms of introversion or extroversion. If you have an introverted person married to an extroverted person, a lot of times what will happen is the extrovert will want to go out and spend lots of time with people and want to bring their partner along and go to parties and go out with groups and that kind of thing. And the introvert is feeling like this is their worst nightmare. And they come up with all kinds of reasons why they can't go. Oh, I'm so sick or I'm so busy or whatever it is. And the reality is they just can't handle all the people. And the good news about this is introverts and extroverts can stay together. It's just that we have to understand where they're coming from, right? The introverted person needs time alone before they can go out into a group. They can't have back-to-back-to-back group activities or they will fall apart. And the extroverted person needs time with the group and they cannot have too much alone time or that makes them feel awful. And so the way this plays out in couples is that the extroverted person will probably want to go out with a group of other couples and the introverted person will want to just be alone with their partner. And you have to balance that. You, The introvert has to give the extrovert their group time and the extrovert has to give the introvert their alone couple time. It's an easy fix when there's balance, when everybody gets the balance that they need. Now, I think another thing that's sort of a common problem in couples is that people end up so busy in life, either with work or children or family issues or whatever it is, and the date night ends up falling by the wayside. And it kind of, a lot of times, if you're busy, gets kicked down the road. Like, oh yeah, I know we were gonna go out 
this week, but then this thing came up, and so let's push it to next week, or let's push it to two weeks out, or let's push it to a month out. And sooner or later, the couple no longer has their time alone. And this is the we part of the relationship. This is the part that needs something too. It needs to be reinforced. The we part of the relationship needs to happen. Just as much as the me, just as much as the you, the we part of the relationship needs attention too. And people will lose each other if they don't make a concerted effort to make the we date nights happen. Now, a more serious issue in a we situation in couples is problems with sexual compatibility. Now, typically at the beginning of the relationship, everybody is sort of on board sexually. Some people have issues at the very beginning because they have a history that makes sex a mental health issue. And so a lot of times this becomes problematic, especially if there's either a history of some kind of sexual abuse, or a lot of times it's coming from a family that put a lot of shame around sex. And what ends up happening is the mental health issues around sex end up getting in the way in the moment. And a lot of times people are too afraid to talk to their partners about it. They, their partner does something and they feel super icky or they feel super ashamed and they own the problem as their own instead of recognizing that this is a we problem, that we need to be happy in the bedroom and everybody needs to be happy in the bedroom, not just one person. It can't be just one person getting their needs met and another person not getting their needs met. And you will see this a lot, or I will see this a lot in couples therapy, where I will see that one person is really unhappy. And a lot of times the other person thinks it's not that big of a deal. And then I'm spending like an hour every time I talk to them, to the unhappy partner, about how sex is terrible and they don't know what to do and they don't know how much longer they can go on like this. And so just be aware that communication is key in this aspect of the we part of the relationship too. And so one final thought about how the we can go wrong in a relationship, how the couple can fall apart, is that if you don't have respect, for your partner. If you have lost respect for your partner, I don't know how you come back from that. That is a point of no return. And there's a lot of reasons why couples lose respect for one another. Maybe it's because one person lost a job and can't find a job, or they started using drugs or alcohol too much, 
or they're a terrible parent. And it's hard for the partner to even respect any ideas that they have about parenting. And so once the respect is gone, I don't know how you get that back. Maybe you can redeem yourself by getting that job, getting sober, or becoming a better parent. But for the most part, once it's gone, I feel like it's gone. It is really hard to get back. And so those are just my thoughts about couples, uh, the me, the you, the we of all couples. And so if you can take care of yourself first and foremost, and then take care of your partner, and then take care of the two of you as a couple, you can go far. But any piece of this that is missing is going to create problems in the relationship. Two people who can take care of themselves, take care of their partners, and take care of the couple will be successful long-term, especially if there is respect, if there is communication, if there is honesty and a willingness to work through the tough stuff, you are set up for success, even if you are fundamentally incompatible with your partner. And you have to break it off because your value systems are so different and you want different things out of life. And this isn't going to change, at least if you have tried to have a healthy relationship with yourself, with the other person and with the couple, then your next relationship is set up for success. So that when you do find that person that you're actually compatible with from a values perspective, then you will have a long-term, healthy, successful partnership. Be well, and thank you for listening.